co-host, my partner in all things law enforcement, the very handsome Bill Cannon. What's up, Bill? Yo, what's going on? It's the first time we've done, well, one live show today, and now we're doing a show on Zoom, also live, but we did a show in the studio for the first time in, what, about six months? Yeah, and um, I actually had the chance to bump into an old friend, uh, um, a fellow comedian that I've known for years that I didn't know had a, also a famous brother, a famous author. And I'm happy that we have him here today. Um, he's a, an acclaimed author. He's written the books. Uh, he's the author of Gangster City, The History of New York Underworld from 1900 to 1935, Bad Seeds, Big Apple Bandits, Hollywood on the Spot. Um, Patrick Downey, our guest, specializes in prohibition era and depression era crime. Guys in fedoras with machine guns. We're very happy to have you, Pat. No, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> really, hey, I'm really, really. Pat, I just want to shout out to us. The first time Facebook Live has worked in weeks because we were using Google Chrome. So any of you other podcasters out there using Google Chrome, get rid of fucking Google Chrome because it's not compatible with Facebook Live. Now that I said my piece, Google Chrome should be sued for this shit. So um, <laughs> there we go. That being said, that was my next book. You just ruined my next book, Bill. Thanks. <laughs> Retired NYPD sergeants were angry. <laughs> Pat, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for um, having me. I'm a good. I'm a good friend of your brothers. Uh, we're both comedians. Uh, Bill's a comedian as well. But I've I've been uh, doing it a little bit longer than Bill, and I, I've had the pleasure of working with your brother. Many, many times he's hysterical. I love him. I love his humor. And um, and then, you know, not too long ago, I found out that he has other brothers that are also very, very talented. How many brothers and sisters are in this family? Well, how big is no, this? Actually, it's just me and him. We're, we're, the talent is between the both of us. That's amazing. It's That's amazing. Yo, Pat, you, you guys are from me as well. Pat, you guys are from Hicksville? No, we're from Detroit originally. Oh, Detroit. Because, you know, I grew up in Levittown. I, I found out today that your brother was from Hicksville. No, he lives out uh, on Long Island now, but originally we're from Detroit. Oh, okay. Detroit, huh? So uh, how did you get fascinated with New York City, a gangland era mobster? Uh, how did you get fascinated by that? Uh, I read a book probably about close to 30 years ago now called Blood Letters and Bad Men. And then uh, had some of the old uh, New York gangsters in it. Then I read uh, The Gangs of New York by Herbert Asbury. I love that. I, I've only seen the movie, but I love that movie. Yeah, it's a great book, too. You should check out the book sometime. It's based on the book. That, and that covers uh, the criminals from around the Civil War era up until Prohibition in 1930. So I read about the guys that he wrote about, and then I just took it a step further and explored their history more, did more research, and brought out more information about the uh, Prohibition era and before and slightly after. There's some pretty that results in my first book. There's some pretty... Pat, there's some pretty ornery mofos back then, huh? Uh, yeah, there's um, some pretty nasty people. Yeah. But, um, I don't like, know if they're any worse than some people who are out there now. I mean, you guys see the humanity that's out there now, so I don't know if they're... They had more colorful names, though, I think, back then. Pike or Ryan, stuff like that. Jip the Blood. <laughs> I think they definitely had cooler they, names they, back they then. Definitely, they definitely had great names. Um, like a lot of our history here in this country, sometimes gangsters come out or, or criminals come out of, they were, they were people that were straight. Jesse James was, uh, you know, fighting for the Confederacy and right. was so upset with, uh, you know, the Northern soldiers still staying there 
that's when he started doing his bank robberies. Um, Billy the Kid became, you know, a notorious killer because they killed his mentor. Right. He was so, actually, I believe, from New York City, too. Billy the Kid. Yeah, Billy the Kid originally was from New York City. So now um, these gangsters, I know the, the book Legs Diamond, I'd like to know why you're fascinated with him. But uh, any of these gangsters that we know today, famous, were just like regular guys, but the prohibition brought them out of it? Um, the need to survive? I think mostly they're all criminals to begin with, but um, until prohibition came around, if you're a criminal, there's only so far you could go. And the police controlled you and the judges controlled you. But once prohibition came and the money started rolling in, there was so much money that the back, the gangsters started making that they started controlling the cops and the judges. They got to decide, you know, just because they, they had all the money. So if you wanted to uh, become a judge and you need money, you know, Go take a loan from what's his name, and you're paying back. Somehow. I was watching. I was watching something on the prohibition, and it was actually um, a woman's group, a coalition that actually started the prohibition movement. Is that true? Yeah, the prohibition movement started way back in the 1800s, um, just by uh, wives and ones who were tired of their. Uh, husbands drinking away their paycheck <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> and so hey we got to stop this and it took 50 years or so but they finally decided yeah if we outlaw it that'll make it go away which of course didn't well pat who had the, that never makes it go away <laughs> pat who had the most colorful gangsters during prohibition chicago or new york colorful um well they each had um standouts and uh, like certain ones from different cities I find interesting, like Legs Diamond in New York. Um, Why are you so fascinated with Legs Diamond? Because I'm fascinated with him, mostly for the reason um, he's famous for being <laughs> shot and surviving. It took five attempts on his life before they finally got him. And they called him the Al Capone of the East. And even though he was nowhere near Capone in you know, size of gang or power, he got so much press. He was the most famous gangster in New York on the East Coast that he was just in the newspapers constantly. He was like a matinee movie star. And he actually got fan mail. He was famous in Europe because he got kicked out of Europe. Why did and, he get kicked out of Europe? Oh, he was trying to buy drugs, right? Right. He went over to set up a drug deal. But right before he went, he bumped a guy off. And he was having his henchmen dump the car that they killed him in in Brooklyn off a pier. And they got caught. And they started, you know, just doing the work and, okay, Lake Diamond bumped this guy off. Where is he now? And, oh, he just jumped on a boat. He's on his way to Europe. So they uh, radioed to Europe and England wouldn't let him off the boat, which he didn't really care about because he was going to Belgium to set up his drug dealers. But each country, there was somebody waiting for him at the railroad station or at the shipyard and they tossed him on a freighter and sent him back. He had to come back with a bunch of canaries. What kind of drugs was he looking to procure in uh, Belgium? Heroin. Okay. Oh, before his time. Um, he worked for Arnold Rothstein. I don't know if you ever heard of Arnold Rothstein. Yeah, of course. I'm a big boardwalk fan. Yeah, and he was a big, he was a drug kingpin, and they, Legs Diamond started working for him, and he, he'd gone over to Europe a number of times in the 20s to set up deals. Because back then, you just go to a pharmaceutical company in Europe, say, we want X amount of morphine, and they didn't care. You know, oh, and if you could just uh, send it to us, ship it to us on bowling pins or something, that'd be great. <laughs> and uh, so um, 
after Rothstein was killed in 1928, Lucky Luciano, Legs, Diamond, all the guys who had worked for him, you know, said, well, we know all the contacts. Let's go over and try to, you know, keep it going for us. Didn't and, Rothstein uh, fix uh, the World Series? Yeah, the White Sox scandal back yes. in 1919. Yeah. Yep. That's true? As far as I know, I've never... Uh, hey, you're supposed to be the investigator. You're supposed to tell us. Um, speaking of investigating... That's definitely true. <laughs> Heard it here. <laughs> You know, we're, we're, Bill and I are both uh, investigators. I um, I was a detective for uh, 13 years. Bill was a, a sergeant in the Homicide Squad. How much investigation goes into writing a book like, uh, like the, about Legs Diamond, Gangster City? How much? Um, well, it can be difficult because, you know, unlike someone like Thomas Jefferson or uh, a general in World War II, these guys didn't keep diaries. They didn't write long, flowery letters to each other, tell them what exactly was on their mind. <laughs> they kept it themselves. You know, if they killed somebody, they didn't brag about it. Uh -huh. So depending on who you're researching, all you really have are newspapers, which can have, have some good information. And then you have to do, um, I spent a lot of time in uh, lower Manhattan looking at court records, court documents. Oh, that's interesting. Trial records and stuff like that. How do you find that kind of stuff? How, like, uh, what, what do you have to do to get that? Um, in the municipal archives in downtown uh, New York, you can, if they were um, tried there, you can, they have all the trials by number and you have to find out the number of the trial. And if they, if the uh, transcripts still survive, then they can get them for you. Is it on slides? Um, the numbers are on slides, but you can actually get files with actual paper, the, the, like the, what the, the lawyers wrote on and stuff like that. You can get the actual physical files. Wow. So you put a request in there and then how long does it take for you to actually get that information? Oh, I don't know. It's, a, it's New York City. We know how slow that works. So three, two or three years later, while you're writing your book, what happened? <laughs> so it's a, a couple of weeks. But two, it's amazing what's in there. I found some Murder, Inc. files, and they had, like, pieces of a car that a body was found in, like the ignition for some reason. Here's the ignition from a 1944. <laughs> and just a piece of rope or something like that. And the fact that this sort of evidence still exists and it's in a box. Do you get to read police reports from back then? If they still exist, yeah. I wonder, well, how long are the... How long are the um, like, if you've read one on murder, because, you know, usually... There was a time on our job uh, when there was so many homicides in New York City that a homicide, unless there was a witness or something obvious there, the case could be like two or three pages long, you know, our folder. Yeah. And then yeah, mm -hmm. now, nowadays, you got a homicide, you're walking in with boxes full, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, yeah, definitely. I've gotten empty folders. I've gotten folders with three sheets of paper. And then, I, like I said, I've got a box with the ignition from a 1944. So it all depends on the murder, why they saved it, I don't know. Or maybe over the years, people have picked away at it. So who knows, 40 years from now, 50 years from now, someone could be writing a book and they'll be going over your paperwork from one of your cases. Pat, you ever find any family members of a victim or one of these gangsters that was willing to talk with you and provide you with inside information? Um, most of the guys I talked to have been dead for like 80, 90 years. What I get are a lot of family members who... There's this uncle we were never allowed to talk about. Right. And his name was, you know, whatever, Bill Lovett. Oh, yeah, I know that guy. And, you know, I'll help him out, give him some, shoot him some newspaper articles or help him where I can. But then so, that becomes more like legend than fact, right? 
Yeah, I mean, what what's what's out what it whatever the newspaper said. Sometimes I can say, hey, this is what the newspaper said, and they might say, oh well, no, or actually, this is a little more what happened, you know, something like that. Right. Your brother said that you had a a telegraphic memory for for stuff like this ever since you were a kid. What what got you fascinated with uh, this era in crime? Um, I don't know. I. I've been asked this a lot and I never come up with an answer for it. I just remember ever since I was a little kid, like four or five, just watching the old black and white films and just the guys with the fedoras hanging off the cars, you know, da, 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 with the machine guns, the old James Cagney type things. It just always, for whatever reason, interests me. And uh, then when I started reading about it, oh, stuff like this really happened. You know, which one was your favorite? Based on real people. So well, even better. Which gangland movie was your favorite movie from, uh, you know, a uh, Angels with Dirty Faces, a Scarface? Which one was your favorite one? Um, from when I was a little kid. Um, White Heat. What, actually, I think one of the top is uh, Dillinger with Warren Oates, because it was in color and it had the old cars. So that uh, kind of hit me big. But um, I would say... Um, Angels with Dirty Faces had a good shootout in it. That one. Um, Public Enemy, with again with James Cagney was good. All the old ones are good. Uh, Paul Muni and Scarface, they're all fun. They're just I'm on top stuff. of the world, ma. <laughs> top of the world, ma. <laughs> I love Who's the best. All those old guys always had mother complexes, you know? Just like Elvis, you know? They were like, ma, ma, I'm here, ma. <laughs> You know, I was watching something on James Cagney and where he got the, uh, you know, when he pushes his pants up like that. I, I forget what, what the reason for that was, but that was a, a, a big ca a character trait, the way he used to pull up his, his, his pants like that, using the... Uh, his yeah, he got it from some guy on... He grew up in New York City, and there used to be some character in his neighborhood who would, you know, on the corner, you know, who what, who knows what he was doing there, but it just, you know... The, yeah, uh, so he, he picked it up from him. It was, you know turn of the century gangster in James Cagney's neighborhood that he saw, you know, and he picked up pieces like George Raff flicking his dollar in Scarface. He got that George Raff used to hang out with Oni Madden, a lot of the New York gangsters at the time. So he yeah, picked, Cagney so, grew up in Yorkville. You know, personality known now and he up to the movie. Side, right? I'm sorry, I missed that. I said James Cagney grew up in Yorkville, which is now known as the Upper East Side. Yeah, around like 90th Street, 90th. Yeah, yeah. Without yeah. his housing projects over there, by <laughs> Mm -hmm. The most sought-after housing projects in the city on First Avenue in the nineties. You know, you know, I was watching something on bootlegging and the prohibition, and how as soon when the a prohibition came out, like anything else, it it doesn't happen overnight. So right. by the time it was going through the courts and there was a chance that it was going to pass, everything was already in place as far as the gangsters that already bought all the breweries, they were ready to go. So they were just waiting for prohibition. To, uh, to actually happen so this way they can start making some real money. Yep, they, um, I think a lot of the early stuff was, um, there was a lot of the legitimate uh, distillers and brewers had warehouses full of stuff because they weren't quite sure, is it gonna last? You know, how long will it last? And then um, gangsters would be able to break in. Sometimes they probably did break in, but other times it might've been, you know, the distillers themselves saying, you know, unload it and give us our cut and then as you said by like 22 23 they started buying up the breweries and 
bringing stuff, a lot of stuff in from Canada, bringing stuff up from uh, Cuba. So yeah, it's interesting that 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 um, you know, a law turned all these guys from like you mentioned earlier, just uh, regular criminals to millionaires literally yeah. overnight. Pretty much. And and we're talking about you know millionaires at the time where a million dollars was a, bi a billion right now because yeah. And you know they always talk about uh, Kennedy's uh, John F. Kennedy's dad was a bootlegger, and that's how he had all the connections with the mob and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's so interesting that this country did that, that turned all these gangsters into uh, millionaires overnight. Yeah, and I think we still, I mean, we'll never know how big it was, but I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, corporations out there now and businesses out there now that got their start because Grandpa, who was originally, you know, dragging his knuckles along the Lower East Side, became, like you said, a millionaire. All right. Over from 1920 to 1933, I was able to amass $400,000, $500,000, and now they own a string of grocery stores or something, you know? Well, Pat, you know what's interesting is that the, the routes that they use, the bootleggers used, are the, today are used by the drug traffickers. The same, some of the same routes that were used, you know, to the Caribbean and all this uh -huh. other stuff. It's the same ones, you know, to Mexico. Now, of course, all the different cartels in Mexico, but the bootleggers laid the groundwork for them. Yeah, they set up the blueprints and they just yeah, they set up the blueprints. work for them. Yeah, it's it's going to work, right? Hey, you know, the funny thing is I was thinking about the COVID and all these businesses that shut down, including obviously the bars and the nightclubs. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, you know, how long is it before these people open up through the back door? Uh, you got to say a password to get in. And then it dawned on me the difference between this and the prohibition was the problem, the, the COVID is a, is a situation where if you go out and you get infected, you could bring it home to your family. So there's actually, there's a, there's a, a virus in the air that can kill you. Mm -hmm. And that's why these people are staying shut because uh, to me, otherwise they would open up. But th that's, that's the reason why you don't want to really break that law where in prohibition time, it was just the alcohol that was illegal. So it, you weren't really hurting anybody ex except yourself, literally. Right. And, uh, and there's some uh, cases of people getting bad alcohol with alcohol and dying. That definitely happened. So oh, really, yeah. If you got you know a bad, if you didn't know your bootlegger, <laughs> then you're taking the chance because you know you know who knew what you were getting. Just like I'm sure out on the if you know if you're into drugs and you're you don't know what you're getting, right? If you don't know the guy or who knows what they're giving. Yeah. You. Same thing back then. If somebody could make a quick couple of bucks selling poison, you know they're gonna do it. How did uh, Legs? How did Legs Diamond get his name? Uh, that's up for debate. Some people say he got it because he ran out on his friends. Legs, he you know runs out on his friends. Some say <laughs> he's a good dancer. Some say he got it because he's real fast. He could snatch something off of a cart and be down the street before they could catch him. But um, the closest thing I saw that may be the truth and not as exciting as the other ones was the cops on the Lower East Side used to call his brother because he had a brother who was a gangster too, Eddie. And they used to call him Eddie Leggy. And uh, one of the times that Legs got shot, he was in the hospital. You know, the news guys are talking to the cops what happened and one of them said Leggy and they turned it to Legs and, you know, from there on out he was Legs just because it had such a, Legs diamond has, you know, yeah. what a ring. <laughs> it just has a good ring to it, so. A lot of the guys, especially around Prohibition time, got nicknames from the press. They would come up 
because if you look at his early legs diamond stuff, they call him uh, Bad John or the Cobra or King Cobra or something like that. Nothing stuck and then legs that just clicked. It's, you know, just marquee value right there. Legs diamond. Like Bugsy, Bugsy Seagull. I just watched that recently. You know, it's a pretty nice movie, man. It's beautifully shot. Um, I, I think Warren Beatty did a good job with that. And yeah, uh, definitely brought out the, uh, the, you know, you wouldn't think of him as being that sinister, but it was, it was, it was done well. Bugsy was originally uh, from New York as well, wasn't he? Yep, Brownsville, Brooklyn. I think he came from. And then he hooked, took, uh, was on the Lower East Side with Meyer Lansky and the guys, the Bug and Meyer mob, is what they were called. Huh. What are they called? The Bug and Meyer mob. Oh, the Bug and Meyer mob. Yeah. And it's different the ethnicities too because you had Jewish guys. Mm-hmm. You had Italians, you had the Irish. Yeah, the Irish on the west side, some Irish in Brooklyn, yep. Yeah, the Westies, they called them on the, uh, the Irish guys, right? Uh, that, that was more like 60s and 70s, the Westies, oh, okay. they came later. That was before that. Yeah. Let me ask you something, back in the Prohibition days, was this, the gangsters, were they mostly the Italian mafia or no? No, they, the mafia is definitely there in the Italian neighborhoods, but... Uh, Pretty much the whole west side of Manhattan was Irish. So you had like Oni Madden was the top Irish guy. But and there's other guys that just you you don't hear their names anymore just because they didn't have they maybe they didn't get gunned down in a glor you know a bloody way. So there's some gangsters you hear more than others. But you had a lot of Irish, Italian, Jewish, obviously. Chinatown actually had a lot of murders. You had the Tong Wars going on. And Chinatown, as you know, is, you know, just what, four streets, Doyers and a few other streets. Yeah. You know, on square footage, they had the, probably more murders than anyone. Hey, how did these guys live? Like, if you could compare it to today, as, as far as money making, uh, you know, you always see in the movies, they're, they're living in out of hotels. Mm-hmm. You know, Al Capone is coming out. He's got his own thing. Like Legs Diamond, for example, or people, mobsters from New York. Um how much money did they actually have? Uh, probably very day to day, but as for living in hotels, yes. Um, a lot of them that Legs Diamond had a couple of suites at a couple of different hotels throughout the city that, you know, well, tonight I'll sleep at the Edison Hotel or I'll sleep at this hotel. And he also had a house up in the Catskills. But uh, by the last year of his life, all his money was gone and he was in a cheap boarding house. And that's where they killed yeah, they, like you said, they had a, a few attempts on his life. Um, and wh- why would he wind up in the boarding house? He had no money. He uh, had a couple of trials. And as I said, he was so famous that he really couldn't operate just because the press was always around him and uh, or the police. He just and when you got that much attention, you can't operate, operate like he used to. And he had a couple of uh trials too which are expensive with lawyers and whatnot and just as money was dwindling and uh by his last trial he was in like a 12 dollar a week boarding house with his wife what was your most spectacular homicide of uh, the prohibition era well one that you find the most interesting uh vincent cole that's a pretty interesting one mad dog cole he got in a phone booth in a drug story, supposedly uh, talking to Oni Madden, trying to shake him down for like 25 grand, threatened to kidnap his uh, brother-in-law. But he was set up probably by someone in his own gang at about 12 o'clock midnight. He left his hotel with uh, one of his henchmen. They enter a drug store. His henchman takes a seat at the bar. 
Cole goes into a phone booth, starts talking. Big set, about five, 10 minutes later, a big sedan pulls up. A couple of guys jump out, guard the door. Another one walks in, pulls a Tommy gun out of his coat, tells everybody to be cool, walks to the end of the bar, lines up with Cole in the telephone booth and lets him have it. <laughs> That's probably one of the most colorful ones. You know something, those Tommy guns were so cool looking, but they made them, I guess, from after that era, it's a federal offense just to possess one of those. But yeah. now guns that are like that, like Mac tens and uh, mm -hmm. you know, Uzi, you don't see an Uzi. An Uzi is actually an Israeli-made weapon that's very right. expensive, so you don't see them on the street. Well, you'll see that's those machine pistols like Mac tens. You know, mm -hmm. there's uh, they did a gun buyback in Jersey about ten years ago in Trenton or Camden or something like that, and they're showing what a success it was. And they had this big table of guns, and there's a Tommy gun on it. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> who turned uh -huh. that in for a hundred bucks? You know what that's probably worth? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's got to be like 12 grand or something. To a gun collector, that's probably worth a fortune, you know? I know, yeah, someone took that home. They didn't just uh, toss that in the scrap heap with the rest <laughs> yeah, of them. We don't want this out there. I don't think that's in the evidence room. Uh, no, that's in someone's den right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a collector's item. They've, it's, it's been sold on the internet, the black market, like 10 times already. Yeah, I'd love to have one. That'd be great. Did you ever, did you ever hold one in your hand? No. Just huh? the BB gun one you, you get at the carnival where you got to shoot out the star. That's the closest I've ever come. But apparently, I think my brother was telling me there's a gun range in Florida where you can uh, shoot one. Really? Oh, yeah. So I want a road trip down to Florida just to do that. Usually those guns aren't very accurate. And they, they use, they, well, I don't know back then, but now they shoot 9 millimeter or 45 caliber. So you can just imagine a, a, a machine pistol that's shooting 45 caliber, but in the bullets are spraying all over the place because they're inaccurate, but that's pretty, that's a lot of firepower, you know? And I someone like, actually had one of those, uh, there was a gunsmith in the Midwest who could uh, tinker with guns and the, uh, they would take a 45 and put like a, he'd be able to put a, whatever, a 15 round clipper and fire a 45 pistol like a machine gun. Right, yeah, they could still do that, yeah. Hey, when you're getting uh, really into uh, your investigation, you're, you're, you're writing these books, do you almost feel like you're, you're living in that time or do you have to like put yourself there mentally for that period? You know, because that to me, that's fascinating um, because you start thinking about the clothes. Yeah. You start thinking about the music. Yeah. You know, and I try to do everything. I'll research like that. One of the funnest things to do is to actually go to the neighborhood. A lot of it's been torn down, but you can, there's still, a, you know, some out there. I used to do a walking tour on, in the East Village and to actually see the buildings and so-and-so got killed here, so-and-so lived here, and just helps bring it to life, you know, take, bring it off the page. I what happened with my kids sometimes, I ride around Manhattan, I see, you see over there, this guy got whacked over there, I tell them about how much life that I worked on. They're like, oh, shit, man. <laughs> yeah, my, my wife still jokes about that when we started dating, we'd be walking somewhere in Manhattan, I'd be like, oh, hey. <laughs> some some guy got rubbed out here in 1923. Oh, what, what happened with the walking tour? That sounds so interesting. Uh, I I did it a handful of times, and you know that that was it. And you I didn't sell it off to somebody. Jersey, what's that? You didn't sell it off to somebody. You could you could actually instruct a, a group of people, and and they'd go out there and do it for you. Hmm. And you can make money on all of them. Yeah, we, we know something like that, but I thought the insurance was going to be outrageous. No, we we know it's comic. We know a comic named Tom Delgado that's a tour guide, 
and he did some of that stuff, you know, uh, showing people where guys got, of course, Umberto's Clam House, but which, yeah. it moved though. It's not there anymore. It's not the same one. I went in the original one and some old guy who worked there, yes, sir, can I help you? And I just said, did you work here when Joey Gallo got shot? His <laughs> eyes get big. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about, sir. I wasn't even alive then. <laughs> okay, you were here. Well, I took, I took him up to Rayo's. I, I actually worked that murder. Some uh, some guy, uh, a wise guy at the bar was screaming at this woman who was singing. And this mm -hmm. old time bookie said, hey, buddy, give her, you know, give the lady a chance. Show some respect. And he said something really disgusting to this poor old man. And the old man pulled out a gun and shot him dead at the bar. Well, they were both they were both connected. Yeah, well, the, but the guy the guy who was killed was a made guy. They were, I think they were both in. Oh, no, Louis Lumbrell. No, his name was Louis Barone. He was a an associate. He wasn't made. He was like a bookie, but he uh, he got fifteen for life and he died in prison. He, but you know, by natural causes, no one whacked him. So they say <laughs> you kill a made guy, you're gonna whack. He, he lived till you know. You know, it's funny is that that, uh, that when they asked him, the detectives asked him, well, why were you carrying a gun? He goes, well, we went to uh, level three. What was it? The orange alert. The terrorist <laughs> alert. <laughs> so he took his gun out with him that night. Hey, uh, you never know. Fight off some Al-Qaeda with this 38 chief. <laughs> yeah. Always have some good answers. Some, I forget what gangster was, but they caught him with a 45 or something like that. Yeah, I was out hunting. <laughs> <laughs> 45 okay yeah, i mean answer. it's such this it's such a romantic period when you think about uh speakeasies you think about new york city uh having to give that password at the door once you get in uh, -huh. uh you know they try to recreate it in new york city i used to do a comedy club um down in the uh on the lower east side and right across the street was the beauty bar and if you went into the beauty bar it would look like a, you know, like you went to get your hair done then. But then you'd walk into a bar, you'd keep walking to the back. They, you know, you go through the door, uh -huh. and all of a sudden it was a nightclub, you yeah. know, and music was pumping in there. And uh, so that gave me like a little bit of a feeling of. Um, it was also this place, Milk and Honey. We had a call up in uh, uh, beforehand. Uh, I, I used to have a friend that was, uh, she was on a soap opera, so she got us in there. And you got to sit at the table with uh, strangers and, and you can't communicate with other tables or wrap the girls and there was a whole thing. But it got me thinking about what it was like to go to like, you know, speakeasies back then. Uh -huh. Yeah, I, I would love if I had a time machine. I, every night I'd be back in New York, you know, go out to hit one of the big movie houses because I love old the palace theaters, those just giant theaters. I love those too. So I'd like to go to See a movie, speak easy, and then go see some guy get rubbed out. You know, uh -huh. I know where to go and what time he's gonna be there. Just stand that, across that the street. Here he comes. Not you're even using the old time language, rubbed out. Now they say whacked, right? <laughs> Back then it was rubbed out. Now it's whacked. Rubbed you know, out, bumped off, one way ride. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a great tour actually. If you could put all those three events in one night and acted it out, but in the same venue, you just go in one place. You're in a bar. You go in the next door, you're uh, this, and then all of a sudden in the last room, after you just had a great time the whole night, somebody mm. gets whacked <laughs> in that last room or rubbed out. I think yeah. that would be a great night out. Especially if you don't know who's going to get whacked. <laughs> I've done dinner theater, man. It can be done. It's, you know, oh, in yeah, a that's a great way. Night. That'd be fun. In Everybody a way. Drinks, and all of a sudden a couple of guys walk in. Everybody be quiet. <laughs> I, used, I used to play Salmonella in the Godfather Michigana wedding. Salmonella. That was my name, Salmonella. Salmonella. I used to go up to tables and go, hey, what's up, everybody? Hey, I'm Salmonella. Oh. <laughs>
Pat, you know what I, you, is really interesting? With, uh, I'd love to hear about is um, the crimes against the early movie stars. You got to tell us some of those. Um, a lot of the big crimes at the time is extortion and uh, threats of kidnapping. Because this is like sort of kidnapping was pretty big at the time, even with gangsters. A lot of gangsters would kidnap other gangsters uh -huh. because you didn't have to worry about them calling the cops. Right. You had to worry about them killing you, but you didn't have to worry about going to jail. But a lot of with the movie stars, you know, they show up at the studio, then uh, they would come with their mail and, you know, hey, I saw your movie. I, you're, um, I'm a big fan. And by the way, if you don't give me $5,000, I'm going to kidnap your daughter. And, you know, just things like that. Marlena Dietrich, Ginger Rogers, a lot of the stars would, Bing Crosby, pretty much everybody. They would, at one point, they were getting letters and the FBI was always uh, in uh, Hollywood having to chase these guys down. So a lot of people, you know, oh, it'd be great to be a movie star, which it would be. I mean, especially during the depression, they're living like kings, which probably was played a lot of part in it too, especially the fan magazine saying, you know, John Barrymore now makes $15,000 a week. Right. Gangsters are gonna be like, oh, well. Yeah, we should take it. <laughs> well, you ever see the scene in The Sopranos? where uh, Lauren Bacall played, she went to this premiere of a movie and they give them these goodie bags and she's walking out and they, and they rob her, they rob her on the street. That's like petty anti shit, but that's, these wise guys, they do stuff like that too. Yeah, in yeah. LA was, um, once word got out how much money was there with the studios, the mob came out and started infiltrating the uh, unions in the studios. And uh, a lot of the actresses, they're wearing $50,000 worth of jewelry and $50,000, like we said back then, it's like half a million now, close to a million. And there's stories about just coming to their door, ding dong, Western Union. Oh, okay, let me sign for it. And they just push their way in, tie them up, take all their stuff. Zeppo Marx, the Marx Brothers, he got robbed twice. <laughs> One time he was having a little dinner party and these bandits came to the door, barged in, tied everybody up. <laughs> wired their hands behind their backs, took them upstairs. You know, where's your jewelry? We, you know, we, yeah, you got more than that. Come on, where are you hiding the good stuff? So those locked jobs are usually in the closet. Those are usually inside jobs too. Someone usually points the, uh, the bad guys to the location. For yeah, it could cup. be like uh, one of their servants or something. Yeah. And, they still but, uh, today. They were getting fleeced by everybody. Grocers, you know, hey, why's my bill? 200 bucks. <laughs> yeah. a slice of pizza. I hope you don't notice. <laughs> that's interesting with uh with the insight i just saw how kim kardashian when she got robbed in paris that was a two-year operation they were planning it for two years yeah yeah and uh they almost did it the first time except for kanye was there that time so they backed off and then this time he didn't go with her and um they actually they, they went through with it but there was over 20 people involved with that it wasn't just uh and, you know, everything is like you, you mentioned newspapers and how they would find out how much money these people had and where they frequented through a newspaper. Now with social media, she's posting that ring that she got from Kanye, which was, I don't know, $28 million or some shit like that. But, yeah. you know, they're, they're so, our, our, our newspapers back then were these people's social media now. You know what I'm saying? Our, right. our, if you're saying $28 million, there's people who are going to be up for that challenge. Like you said, even if it takes two years. And 20 people, that's a million, that's a million a piece. You know, you're just asking. There was this stick up of a jewelry store in Paris. 
and they were refusing to open the safe and they, the guys were starting to get violent. So finally, the woman manager says, all right, I'll open the safe. She opens the safe and they just clean out the safe. And before the guy left, he kissed her on the cheek. <laughs> Big mistake. They swabbed the cheek and got his DNA and ID'd the guy. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I didn't think that went through. That was like, great. Oh, I'll, become, I'll be the kissing bandit. Yeah, no, no more kissing bandits. You know? yeah. They can process the saliva. <laughs> and that's um, robberies. I mean, we, during the 20s, uh, you know, prohibition, you hear a lot about that, obviously. But um, it was robberies in uh, New York City at the time that really made the press even more than the bootlegging gangsters because... Uh -huh. At that time in New York City, you had factories, you had every big business, large business. And at the time, they all had to uh, produce a payroll and they would pay cash. This was before the direct deposit, obviously, and pay checks. They would pay, you would dole out money in envelopes. And so these places are just getting picked off on a daily basis. Uh, a shoe factory, you know, with a $20,000 payroll. And then you'd have one guy from the bank or probably from the shoe factory who would go pick it up. And bring it back and you, a lot of inside jobs like you mentioned bill you know someone who maybe got fired and they're mad and, you know hey you want a quick 12 grand every hey. thursday he picks it up at the bank at fifth avenue and 57th street and he has to walk two blocks so they just you got one or two guys walking back from the bank and then two big sedans pull up and guys jump out with shotguns <laughs> it's all uh, you gotta give it up constant, daily basis boom two three a day Wow. Jewelry stores too, like you mentioned, jewelry stores always getting hit. And a lot of the jewelers though always fought back. A lot of them had guns, so there'd be gunfights. Yeah, wow. they still, I'm sure in the Diamond District, even to the Hasids. The Hasids, they were fighting back the Hasids. <laughs> That's right. They were still back then. They were still there. Mm -hmm. 1947, you go to uh, 47th Street and Fifth Avenue, they're right there. The Sids. <laughs> Hold, holding it down. You can't get on that block. If you're on that block, you're not. Uh, uh, do you remember when they, um, a couple of years ago, they tried to rob it a couple of times, uh, or do a robbery on that block? 47. Yeah, grab diamonds out of the diamond district. <laughs> this is not, it's not easy to get out of there. Uh. No. Well, there's so much traffic during the day. You, you know, you know what they were doing for a while. I was in street crime in, in 1988, and the yaks. They called them uh, Yemenis, Armenians, Croatians, and Serbs. They would get vans and a grand jury with a, a, a red light, and they would drive the van right through the window of Tiffany's and just clean out Tiffany's. And when if anyone was saying, "Hey, what's going on?" they, they had the uh, the light with a police car, and they said, "We got it taken care of. Don't worry about it." And then they take the van and they drive right over to 59th Street Bridge. They hit so many locations. And they knew police procedure because they would call at 1013, like 20 or 30 blocks away. So every cop, for the, you know, miles around was at the 13, you know. Uh -huh. It was uh -huh. pretty, pretty ingenious. They yeah. made a lot of money, those guys. But eventually they caught all of them. Do they all get caught eventually? What's the uh, success rate, in your opinion? And for that? Well, if it's organized oh, it's crime, anything. I mean, you know, the old adage, crime doesn't pay. Does it or doesn't it? No, eventually they all get caught. They I mean, all get caught. Real smart. There's not that many real smart criminals. If they were smart, yeah. they wouldn't be criminals. You know. Yeah. You know the funny part about it is too. Also, especially now in today's mafia, if you're out there and you're doing these type of robberies, um, like Bill mentioned, at some point, 
you're going to get a visit. I'd be like, hey, you're doing really good out there. But, uh, you know, where's the money? <laughs> you yeah. got to close them up. <laughs> and you might be, it doesn't matter if you're Italian. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll give you a pat on the back. You're doing a great job out there. But this you know, is my area, right? I get it. And then they slip you a piece of paper on how much they want out of it. And you better make the nut. Otherwise, they're going to the feds. <laughs> they give your name right up. Really? That's I thought you were going to end that with you end up you know, in the river or something, but they just turn you over to the Fed. Yeah, yeah. Why, why, why are we going to get our hands dirty? Yeah. You know, that, I mean, that's the reality of it. They, 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 they're, going to, if you, they're going to offer you a price. If you don't match it, if you're, not, if you're not with a crew connected, you're just out there, you know, uh, starting your own thing, you're going to have to buck up. Yeah. They know who's doing what. Mm-hmm. You know, the streets, listen, if you're here in New York City and if you're involved in that life, you're going to know who's who, where's where, who's doing what. Right. You got to get rid of the stuff. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. That's like uh, some of the old uh, cities during that time, the crime wave of the 20s and 30s, like St. Paul was a crooked town. You, they, if you're like John Dillinger or a mob guy who needed to hide out, you were lit, allowed to go to St. Paul as long as you paid and didn't cause any trouble while you're there. You mean like Seattle? No, Minneapolis. It is now? <laughs> yeah, like Seattle. <laughs> you mean like Portland? <laughs> and they weren't allowed to light fires back then yeah but you know what though in in, in a funny way it is kind of sort of the same in a, a places where lawlessness is actually tolerated uh-huh. yeah that's the how the fbi became as powerful as they are because they would be on the trail of a dillinger or someone like that they trace him to saint paul but at that time, 32, 33, they weren't allowed to make arrest and they weren't allowed to carry guns. So they'd have to go to the local police and say, we know Dillinger's at this apartment house. So we have to go, you know, we'll bust them in the morning. But the cops are, cops are crooked. They're on, you know, Dillinger's paying to be there. So he gets a call. We're going to be there tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. So the next morning, cops and FBI rush in and cricket, cricket. Yeah, exa- yeah it's exactly the way it is now. I mean, what's the difference between that and the bail reform? What's the difference? They put you in, they arrested you for a crime, and next thing you know, they're just letting you out. <laughs> this is revolving out. door. They'll do it again. Just cut out the middleman and not arrest you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You catch the same fish three, four times. <laughs> that just must be infuriating. Well, you know what? You know what helps ease the pain? When you get your uh, paycheck and there's, uh, you know, 18 hours of overtime on there. <laughs> Who gives a fuck? What, you know what? Is he out really? We'll go get him again. And I'm, I've rocked the clock again. He wasn't a bad. He, he smelled okay. Nothing better than locking up somebody who's making money in the street because they smell okay. They dress good. The worst thing you want to do is spend 14 hours with somebody who smells like shit. You know what I'm saying? Give me a fucking crim- a regular gangster any day. <laughs> Plus they have respect. You feed them. <laughs> I tell you good stories. It's mm-hmm. not a bad day. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm sure it was the same way back then too. Yeah, I remember when a prisoner would have his own money. He'd say, "Can I get a couple of slices of pizza?" I said, "Yeah, sure. Give me your money. I buy it from him." Hey, officer, buy yourself a couple of slices too. I was like, "No, no thanks. It's all right." I, I got <laughs> no, money. really, it's on me. Come yeah, on. I don't need a robber to buy me pizza. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, there's uh, tales of that too. The uh, like El Capone or whatever. You got to go to jail. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to set up my cell with a radio and a bed and live comfortably for the year I have to be here. Okay, whatever you want, Al. <laughs> Al did yeah. some time in Sing Sing too, didn't he? He made Sing Sing famous, I think. Al, Al he did a year in uh, Philadelphia. Okay. It was after the uh, St. Valentine's Day massacre. And the heat was coming down across the country because of that. Uh -huh. So there was a big meet with you know the all the gangsters from Chicago and New York and what. And they said, "Okay, Al, guess what? You really you kind of need to go away for a while." And so uh, it was actually held in Atlantic City. And they said, "Okay." So they set it up. He took a train, supposed to be training back home to Chicago. Pulled over in Philadelphia. Cops were waiting for him. He handed over a gun and said, "Oh, carrying a gun, huh?" mandatory year so him and his bodyguard did a year in philadelphia and but since he you know he didn't really sleep on a cot and <laughs> get bread and water right it was all decked out he had a radio and all kinds of all the accoutrements that would make his year pass as comfortable as possible was he as violent a guy as the depiction in the movie remember the movie where um robert dereal played him and all the guys are around and he beat a guy to death with a baseball bat yeah, it's actually three guys he killed with a baseball bat. No kidding. There were three of them. At so that's true? Yep. That one guy was based on three guys who uh, were double-crossing. He found out we're double-crossing them. So uh, he invited them to a big banquet, supposedly to celebrate something. And uh, that's where he beat them to death with the baseball bats. They also got shot, too. They found them, I think, in Indiana, the three bodies. Wow. That's a little bit overkill, right? What's your... Uh... Which movie does it right, as far as you're concerned, with your historical background? And what movie do you watch? And like, they pretty much nailed it, as far as I know, for my dreams. For what I like, um, maybe not based on anyone in actuality. I really, really like Miller's Crossing with by the Coen Brothers. Have you ever seen? I like that movie. Crossing? Yeah, Tom Hanks. Nope, Tom Hanks, not Tom Hanks. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Gabriel Byrne. Yeah, he's great. Wasn't Tom Hanks the lead in Miller's Crossing? No, that's Road to Perdition. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, a fun okay. one too. that's a fun one, too. I like that one. Miller's Crossing. Okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I watched that one, too. Miller's Crossing, I just think they got the... Uh, it seemed more like 1930 to me. Just, I mean, with the clothes and the, the language. And it, some scenes are a little over the top, but it, it was just... I really enjoyed it. It was fun. Road to Perdition was fun. Um, you know, how about Dillinger? Because I, you know what scene I love from Dillinger when he go, when the, um, uh, he goes, he's looking for a place to stay. And now the mob's already like, you know, we don't want them to do with you. And yeah. they bring him inside where they're, where, uh, they're, they're, uh, taking bets. Yeah. And he goes, you made $20,000 on your last heist. We make $20,000 over here every, every hour. Remember that scene where he's ex trying to explain to him, like, your, your stuff is losing you guys. You froze up. We got to keep talking. Yeah, that was, that was, I love it. I could talk to him all day. I love this kind of stuff. That happened, that happened before. Uh oh. Well, before we started, but we were in the long way. How many minutes? We got uh, 45 back. minutes before. You back. back? I told him what to do. I told him to sign out and sign back on. That's probably what he's doing, hopefully. But this is, uh, yeah, this is like one Pat of my- you back? There you go. 
No, now we see Simon. No, he's back. coming back. He's coming back. Okay. Hey, look at that, man. We got a bigger frame now. Yeah, your head looks twice the size. I know. <laughs> we tell our audience what we did today. We we shot a episode down in uh, Tribeca with John Mulrooney, famous comic John Mulrooney, who is uh, radio personality, TV. Uh, he hosted three of the shows yeah. that I grew up watching um, as a teenager. The first, my first introduction to stand-up comedy was uh, Catch a Rising Star. It was on Fox. He was the host of that and uh, two other shows at that time. And uh, John's a legend in comedy. He's also a TV personnel, uh, radio personality. And uh, now he's fighting crime upstate somewhere, part-time. Well, we're hoping that he joins Inside Blue 360. Yeah. If we ever can make money at it, because I'm sure he wants to get paid. <laughs> Everybody wants to get paid. And speaking of that, we should probably uh, promote our Patreon now while we have a chance. Go ahead. If you're paying attention tonight and you enjoyed our guest, please check out our Patreon. It's Police Off The Cuff. Uh, at patreon.com we have a couple of different tiers there where uh, you know you you get you get a uh, content that uh, comes to you first um, it's exciting content bill has a show that he does on there a true crime story um, I have one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one, uh, more you know uh, artists featured that have stuff to do with law enforcement because that's my my little thing um, I'm having Bob Mladenich uh, uh, on. Uh, that's going to be my next guest, Bill. Oh, cool. Hey, yeah, we're going to talk about the movies. We're going to talk about, you know, his acting and uh, and his books in a more like, a, a, you know, intimate way. Um, you know, I like to have everything, you know, people that were cops, but, um, are, you know, are in our artists now because that's what I'm into, you know. So. And. Uh, who knows what happened to Pat, man? I don't know. He may be. He may have gone. Uh, he, he may. We may have jumped ship. MIA, yeah. You know. One of the yeah. things about our Patreon is that uh, we give our audience. There's three tiers. The first one is called the Bucket, and that costs seven dollars a month. And then the second one is Polish My Rack. That's nine dollars a month. And the premier tier that we hope you join for eleven dollars a month is Dipped in Butter. Because everyone wants to dip him in butter, right? I think he's coming back. So if you want to join our Patreon, please join Dipped in Butter. Uh, that's that's the premier one. We can get paid a little bit for doing this. Pat, you back? There he goes. There he is. Can you hear us? He's here, but I don't hear his audio. He's connected. Okay. He's coming. There you go. That's one of the tough things about Zoom. You know, you can go come in and out and, you know. We can't control this shit. <laughs> can you see me now and hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can see you and okay. hear you. All right. Last I heard was uh, Dillinger and Frank Nitty saying we're the future, right? Because we're doing 20 grand a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that pretty much kind of showed that the uh, the end of one era and the beginning of another. I know. Isn't that, wasn't that a, a cool scene? Mm-hmm. Uh, like because there was some collusion between those guys, like the desperados, as I, I referred to the bank robber guys and the uh, organized crime guys. And one of the things that uh, brought about the downfall there was uh, the heat from the FBI. There was uh, something in 1933 called the Kansas City Massacre, and a guy named Vern Miller, which nobody really knows unless you're into the gangsters, was part of. 
And he was good friends with uh, a guy named Louis Lepke Buchalter, who was one of the top organized crime guys in New York City. And so the FBI went to this Lepke and said, we know your friends, we're gonna make things really hot for you. Tell us where he is. But Lepke didn't wanna do that because if they arrest him, who knows what he's gonna say. So he had him bumped off in Detroit. And so once these, the FBI started breathing down on all these uh, bank robbers, they started going to the organized crime guys saying, if you hide them, we're coming after you too. So, so all, suddenly Chicago and St. Paul weren't a safe place to stay anymore. And you know, your days are numbered. Once you don't have any friends who are friends for a price, then you're done. Well, you know what terrifies the mob today about the weapons that the FBI has, and that's RICO. You say the mm -hmm. word RICO, and every mobster wants to, you know, flee to Cuba because that's the racketeering influence, corrupt organizations. Yeah, it's bullshit. They, they it's put them away forever with that. You know, mm -hmm. they use that against the mafia cops, Ippolito and Caracappa. They used it against them. It, yeah. The Rico statue, yeah, and it's it's. But the Rico statue was actually probably being put together during the Prohibition. That took a long time. It, it didn't happen overnight. That was, was that 80s. Is that kind of like 80s? Yeah, yeah I, I don't think it, it's that old. It probably came around in the 80s. It wasn't. It wasn't put into effect. Right. They didn't start using it, but they started creating it for a while. Yeah. Well, in the 30s and 40s, it was drugs that they were afraid of to get go down for drugs because that was sometimes you know if. if Drugs and murder, obviously, because some of them, there's a handful who went to the chair for murder, but drugs was the one they didn't want to go away on because that was the longest charge. Yeah, like he said, he goes, uh, what did he say? <laughs> the Godfather? When he said, hey, listen, you know, whatever you do, that's your business. I have nothing to get, just as long as your business, business. get involved in my business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know Don Corleone, you carry politicians around in your pocket like so many nickels and dimes. But my you son, don't share them. <laughs> my son is actually, you know, he's a little spoiled. Sometimes he speaks out of turn. Uh, <laughs> they would not be spoiled my much longer if I in, got involved with drugs, right? <laughs> my business bad. was drugs and not gambling, even women. You know? Can we talk about uh, uh, Lucky Luciano, like Meyer Lansky, and uh, Bugsy Siegel, and these guys that came out of New York? Like, how, they were friends since they were kids? Yeah, well, you know, that's the myth. How, when they really met and how close they were. There's a book called The Last Testament of Lucky Luciano, which a lot of stuff is based on, and a lot of it's been disproved over the years. So, and it makes good Hollywood, you know, three kids growing up on the you know, Lower East Side, and they each become big gangsters in their own right. But I suspect a lot of, you know, they met probably as adults. I, it's never, you know, as I said, it's not like they, you can go and look at these guys' letters and diaries and find out everything. Because there's one scene in, uh, in Bugsy where, you know, um, Ben Kingsley's playing Meyer Lansky. Mm -hmm. And he's down in, uh, uh, you know, he's, he said that he would build the casino for uh, the Flamingo for a million dollars. And now mm -hmm. they're up to $4 million and they're all freaking out about the money. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to tell him, he goes, you know, we've known each other since we were kids. And, uh, you know, there's only so much I can stick my neck out for you. Tell me, is this a real deal? Is this the real deal or what? And he's constantly having to speak up for Siegel, Benny Siegel, because these guys, they're going so far over budget. Right. And all these mobsters that invested out of New York and stuff, they're, they're all like, 
how much more, you know, when is this thing done? Right. So, um, we're, you know, I, I, I just don't know. I don't know. And I don't know if anybody knows how, were they, did they hook up when they were eight and nine and 12? Possibly Lansky and Siegel maybe, but I don't think they probably hung around with uh, Luciano till the late twenties. Oh, wow. And Maya Lansky was in, in the Godfather. He was, his character was called Hyman Roth. Yeah. Hyman Rothstein. He, he shortened it to Hyman Roth. He was mm-hmm. the guy who was like, I'm living out my twilight years in Florida. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeking asylum. I'm just living we, out my we, twilight years. <laughs> what was the movie with uh, Robert De Niro and uh, their kids growing up on the Lower East Side? Once Upon a Time in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you like that? Yeah, that was fun. James Wood and yeah, I, yeah, that was a good one. I haven't seen it in a while. I'd have to take a look to see if it holds up. But that was one of the movie, the first movies I got when I got a VCR. <laughs> remember that the day that you got no, your VCR no, those are from Prohibition. <laughs> you know, remember when you got your VCR and then you started going to the to the store. You know, yeah. to the to our the first place. one was I think Magic with uh, Anthony Hopkins, where he's a ventriloquist who kills people. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, I think I was just the one they had. So they had the place where we got videos from probably had five movies, and that was the one they had. So we got that one. Hey, speaking <laughs> of six times, just because you could. What did you think of Boardwalk Empire? I liked it. I thought it was a really good show. I love. I thought it was a lot, very, a lot of fun. And I actually, uh, some guy tried to give me a job writing on it. Said, "Oh, I know this guy," and they're just like, "Well, we'll just buy his book." So then I'm looking. I wonder if there's anything from my book. And I saw something from my that could have been from my book, but I can't prove it. So yeah, that's interesting because you know we tell jokes. So you know, embellish. Tell us a little bit. Like, what was it? Because I watched the whole series. Even if if, I mean, you can't get a lawsuit. The fucking thing is done already. But I I I don't I don't even remember what the scene was. I just just remember watching, going, huh, that sounds familiar. (laughs) Uh, My book. (laughs) Speaking of gangster movies, man. How about Johnny Dangerously? What did you think of that, man? That was one of my favorite movies. Joe <laughs> 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 <Yeah. laughs> <No>, Pesci. <laughs> Still scares no, me. No, 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 no. Maya Lansky. No, no. Uh, Johnny Dangerously was with Michael Keaton. Yeah. <laughs> you, was Joe, you oh, not Joe Pesci. Joe Piscopo. That's, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's you, what I was thinking of. You fark an You fark an icehole. Hey, one of the best ones will have to be Goodfellas. That movie was great. I killed my mother once, only yeah. once. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, obviously, Goodfellas is a great movie. I didn't mean to cut you off. But uh, yeah, I shot my brother. No, I hit my head, my brother in the axe, in the head <laughs> with an axe once, only once. <laughs> so, Pat, does Hollywood or TV ever approach you to write uh, a series or a show or a movie? Never. The only approach I ever got was from. Um, some production company that makes documentaries for like the History Channel or something like that. And they hey, basically, you do all this work and we'll put your name in the credits. How does that sound? Yeah, yeah. No, these guys are these guys are all shadrules, man. They all they don't want to pay you shit. Yeah. I, we get calls from these uh homicide oh. recreation shows, right? And they're yeah. like, as soon as you say, hold, stop, 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 stop. I want to get fucking paid. Right? How much? You're not paying me. Don't even talk, stop talking to me. You know? They're so fascinated by your career. Yeah, they want to sit down with you for an interview for hours. Do a, you nothing. <laughs> yeah, do a Zoom, 
and you tell them all these stories and they're like, oh my God, that's great. Yeah, we're going to call you. You never hear from them again. They just got 15 new, uh, the, the whole next season. <laughs> the whole next season, yeah. yeah. It's just, in my case, they just want me to do their homework and, you know. Yeah. You know, it's your name will be in the credits. It'll be a credit. I'm like, eh. You know what's funny is that just the word itself, Legs Diamond, um, because here's the thing. It's a great title. Now, even if the guy wasn't the biggest mobster, he's associated with all these other people trying to make his way. And yeah. that's where the show becomes interesting, not just because Legs Diamond, he's a he's a mobster, he's doing all this thing. But like you said, how many assassinations attempts? Where does the name come from? You can make something up because he dated Broadway dancers with great legs. Because yeah. uh, I know he was really into the theater because I read your, your stuff. Uh -huh. um, that just has such a great name to it, Legs Diamond. I could see it on HBO already. Yeah, I love it. I've written some stuff. Uh, you know, you have something on standby just in case you get that phone call. And uh, uh, I worked with, uh, well, didn't work with, but I had <laughs> one guy who um, pushed something I had written uh, to um, Stars Network. It wasn't even a gangster thing. It was actually an old Hollywood thing. And they said, okay, we're interested. If you can uh, find a showrunner. We'll go with it, but he couldn't find a producer, so it just. Tell us about the Hollywood thing too, because you have another book about the Hollywood. Uh, what's that about? Hollywood on the spot. Yeah. The crimes against the early movie stars. That's the one where well, you started telling us about that. We'll yeah. start talking about. Yeah, it's just a, a number of stories about the different movie stars from the 20s and 30s, and uh, the crimes that were committed against them that you generally don't hear about. You know, when someone does a biography or whatnot it's like may west and you know gun stuck in her face and losing her jewelry she was a tough broad though yeah she knew all the gangsters from new york too she it, got it, her it, start it in new york she was in vaudeville and did shows she was arrested for her lewdness i guess you'd say in some of her shows but she knew oni madden she knew all those guys so and george raft who we talked about earlier is the one who brought her out to hollywood said hey you should come to i'm making a movie i think you'd be great in it she did a bit part was a big hit and you know the rest is history as they say yeah. and they still robbed him maybe they didn't yeah, know she was an inside job bill as we were discussing it was an inside <laughs> job um that's right guy uh he was a manager from of tex tex guinan who was sort of like a may west-ish woman hello sucker she you know tried to make it big in hollywood it didn't really work out but uh through her, met Mae West, and Mae West, um, I'll try to make this short. She, her car, she was in a car accident, so he said, use my chauffeur. And so she, he started chauffeuring her around and hanging out with her. And uh, she was always adorned in all this jewelry. And, you know, he was a Chicago guy, and he just said, this is too easy to be, you know, <laughs> I just can't let it go. So he got a couple of local boys and said, we're going to be at her apartment at uh, whatever it was, 8.15, because we're going to go to a wrestling match. I'll find an excuse to be out of the car for two minutes. And, you know, so he was out of the car. She's waiting for him. Two guy comes up, sticks a gun in the car, robs her of her jewelry. And then um, she's like, I want to go to the police. And he's like, no, no, don't do that. I, I, I've dealt with these type of guys before. You're probably going to get a phone call in a couple of days. And they'll, they'll want, you know, they'll sell it back to you for, you know, 15 grand or something like that and so sure, sure enough uh hey they contacted me they want 15 grand she's like i'm not gonna do it and 
So he, oh, okay, they'll take 12. You know, no, I'm not going to do it. So he's like, okay. <laughs> so they went and fenced it somewhere else. And, uh-huh. and it took a couple of years, but they finally uh, got him. But he uh, split to Chicago and they couldn't have him extradited. The guy who actually did it with the gun, he, he went away. But uh, the mastermind, as they say. There are no such things as masterminds. Yeah. <laughs> we a had a guy one time in Spanish Harlem does a violent rape inside the housing projects, takes this girl's jewelry, goes right to the, uh, the pawn shop on 103rd Street and 3rd Avenue. And when you pawn something, you got to show photo ID. So Special Victims goes there. <laughs> they just had his name and address. They just went and locked him up that same morning. What a genius, right? Not a mastermind. No, no, definitely not. from it. That's one of the lights, though. That's one, one of the lines from my act when I, I have a bit that I do. And then one of my lines is, not a mastermind, folks. Far from it. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing a lot of people say, like when you get to uh, Luciano or Meyer Lansky. Boy, if they just went in a legitimate business, they would have been like Warren Buffett. It's like, no. Yeah, no, I don't think so. There's a reason they were criminals. because well, they I think, Wasn't it Al Capone that said it takes just enough money, uh, just enough brains and hard work to make a crooked million as it does a straight? <laughs> possibly you never heard that one i, I yeah I, I remember here growing up and hearing that you know i think my father told me that when i was i was doing bad things hey you know son takes just enough brains and <laughs> but you know there's most gangsters have bad habits besides you know they, they're degenerate gamblers mm-hmm. uh, john Gotti was a degenerate gambler he'd make a fortune and, and lose it all you know well, I think it has come to do with the, the the way the money comes easy to you. So you get, you know, you're gonna, you know, it's, you're hoping that it's come it comes tomorrow too. And when it comes that easy to you, yeah, easy come to they say. Yeah, I don't think too many of them die rich. No, they really can't own anything in their name. You know. Mm. That's so then. Well, well, we talked about uh, Bill asked you about the homicides, but I think you said legs diamond died broke. How yeah. about how about the uh, anybody else like die broke uh, during that era? How did people that coming out of New York? Um, it, well, it, it, I meant sort of like uh, I mean if they if they the live robbery, a it's long a home life, <laughs> if they long live a long life, I assume they don't die. But if they're bumped off, there's a lot of guys who are bumped off who are doing well at the time. Okay. A big one on Brooklyn was a guy named Frankie Yale. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He was actually bumped off. Capone had him knocked off. He gave, gave Capone his start. And um, oh, so this guy from New York gave Capone his start. Yeah, Capone's originally from Brooklyn. And then he gave him his start, and the guy Capone wind up rubbing him out. Yeah, um, he <laughs> Capone would have uh, some booze brought in through New York, and it was this guy Frank Yale's job to guard it and make sure it got to Chicago. And then what started happening was. Uh, Hey, Al, Frank's on the phone. Hey, Al, sorry. Hijacked. Oh, okay. A couple months later. Hey, Al, they got another one. He's like, uh-huh. So then uh, Capone sent out, some, you know, had a guy spying for him. He said, yeah, Yale's ripping you off. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always wonder about that. Like when things are going good and I'm making money, why go after the extra money? Because you're a criminal. Yeah, or it could be like Bill said, maybe he blew it all gambling and he needed yeah. a quick 25 grand. And here's these big, beautiful beer trucks with Al's beer. So sell that, get some money, tell that. Uh, whoops. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because they're gangsters and they're gambling. 
Mm-hmm. So why are they paying their debts? You know, one of the things about um, the head of the FBI, uh, uh, Hoover, uh-huh. he loved the he loved the racetrack, and when he won, he won, and when he lost, he didn't have to pay. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't come to him for the money. You uh-huh. know what I'm saying? Like you're a mobster. Fuck you and your fucking thing. I, I fucked up tonight. I'm sorry. Yeah, but but the bookies are also mobsters. So you're owing money to another guy who's half ass. No mobster. one's gonna take your bet. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. If you, the, the worst thing you can be is a welcher. I think if you're a gangster, the worst thing you can be known as is a welcher. No one's going to want to do anything with you. That's right. You know, it's yeah. funny when you talked about um, the guy hijacking the liquor trucks. It's just like today when you get a guy that sticks up drug locations. There can't be a more dangerous profession than mm-hmm. to hold up a drug location. That's going to end in death for the, the stick up artist. And if they don't get them this week, they'll get them next week or a month later, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can compare that to this idiot sticking up the, uh, the the trucks that contain the liquor during Prohibition, you know? Yeah, and you, you, I, I've read about guys like that. I'm just like, what were you thinking? Did you really think you're going to get away with it? Because right, there's exactly. no shortage of them. They, you know, just like you kidnapping another gangster. How far do you think you're going to get? You might get the money, but guess what? For the rest of your life, you're looking over your shoulder. And they, they, I mean, uh, apparently, maybe some did get away because I, I, you know, haven't read about them, but there's plenty who didn't. <laughs> how about, uh, how about uh, Dutch Schultz? Oh, yeah. How many movies have been made about Dutch Schultz? Hoodlum? Uh, yeah. Uh, anybody come close to it? Because I know in your research, you must have come across Dutch Schultz, you know, because Legs oh, Diamond. Yeah. Did, didn't Dutch Schultz try to kill Legs Diamond? Yeah, he's uh, credited with saying, can anybody shoot this guy so he don't bounce back? <laughs> and Because uh, he used to work for Legs Diamond in the Bronx. And Legs was, you know, he had his Bronx, but he's also moving in the city, working with Rothstein. And um, then he got shot in 1921 times he got shot. So he was out of commission for a while. And at this time, Dutch Schultz and his partner, Joey No, decided, you know what? We don't need him. So um, they pretty much forced him out of the Bronx, but they're nice about it. Said, look, we're going to buy out your interest. And Diamond said, okay, meet me on 57th Street, seven in the morning. But they knew they couldn't trust him. So Dutch Schultz and maybe a couple other guys were up in the second story windows. It's by a nightclub, famous nightclub. And uh, Schultz's partner, Joey, knows on the sidewalk. He's wearing a bulletproof vest because he's you can't trust legs, Diamond. Sure enough, a Cadillac comes by. Guys open up. Bum, 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 bum. So Dutch, Schultz, and these other guys start shooting down from the second story windows. And uh, the bullets pierce the uh, top of the Cadillac and hit the guy in the neck, kill him. So his buddies dump him on the Lower East Side. But he had managed to hit Dutch's uh, partner, Joey, no, who uh, ended up dying like three weeks later. So ever since then, Dutch Schultz was like, okay, legs, Diamond has to die now. And he sent out, uh, I mentioned Legs' brother, Eddie, earlier. He had tuberculosis. And they sent him out to Colorado to heal. But while they were out there, they were also uh, in, involved in rackets out there, setting up nightclubs. Why not? <laughs> if you're there anyways. Why waste the opportunity? The wide open town, Jack. So um, they didn't know where Legs holiday is dead. <laughs> but they knew where Eddie was, so they sent out a hit team to get him. But they botched the job, and Eddie survived. But we know Dutch Schultz did it because one, a couple of one of his guys was involved, who uh, later made the newspapers and whatnot. 
So um, that's, then, that's that so fascinating. Then, uh, yeah, then a possible piece may have been made, but um, Dutch Schultz is definitely one of those guys whose name, when they, then when they finally got Legs Diamond, his name was at the top of, you know, he may have been the one who did it, but by that time he had so many enemies. Well, oh, so you're saying he outlived him. Uh, Legs Diamond outlived Dutch Schultz. No, when uh, Legs Diamond got killed, Dutch Schultz's name was at one at the top oh, of okay. who, who probably had him rubbed out. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, Dutch Schultz was a lot more powerful than Legs Diamond. He, he became one of the top mobsters of the city. Because you, now you hear about the mafia and the five families, but back then you had a lot of the Jewish gangsters even more powerful than the Italian. You know, Dutch Schultz was huge. Lepke Buchalter, who I talked about earlier. These were just... Uh, powerful guys and like Buchalter controlled the garment industry. So he was into uh, labor rackets and whatnot. Dutch Schultz can control the th uh, three digit policy lottery. And these guys, you know, and the mob had their stuff going on too. And, you know, it's not like they weren't powerful, but these guys had a bigger grasp on what was grip of the city and the crime that was going on. And Dutch Schultz had just had a, Good way. He, he dreamt up good rackets. You know, you hear about the waiters union in New York City, you know, restaurants have a waiters union. He created that. That was his, you know, hey, there's a lot of restaurants. How can I get my fingers in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess what, waiters, you're now united. And it's going to cost you five bucks a month to be part of this union. And then they go into a restaurant and say, shake down the owner of the restaurant saying, you know, give me five grand. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay, we're gonna come in and drop off some stink bombs, you know, in the middle of rush hour. Right. So you control the union, and then you shake down the guy who owns the business. Same thing with movie theaters. There's a movie theater on every corner. They uh, unionize the projectionists. You can't show movies without projectionists. So you get a projectionist paying you a union due, and then you get go to the theater owner and say, you can yell fire during your next feature, or you can give us fifteen hundred bucks. You know. <laughs> Wow. They pay. Yeah. That's interesting. It's so interesting that people sit back, you know, if you got nothing but time, you can think of all different ways to rob people who are out there working. The old yeah. devious, old devious shit, right? <laughs> you know, now we call them politicians. Yeah. <laughs> Just sitting there. I saw I saw that they're giving buildings ratings now. Energy efficient ratings. And if you're gonna buy a property in New York City. Do you are you gonna buy a co-op in a especially now? Are you gonna buy a co-op in a building that has an A efficiency rating? Because you don't have to worry about assessments to redo the boiler, uh, putting up scaffolding to do the windows. It's a brand new building. So who's gonna buy in what building first? Otherwise, you gotta comply. When you comply and you start fixing this shit, you gotta start calling up all these people to come and do it. And then the, the city inspectors have to come in. It's a what a fucking scam. The shakedown, man. The New York City becoming shakedown central, you know? Between the speed cameras, the red light cameras, congestion pricing, let people jump the turnstiles so fucking suburban taxpayers can pay the fee for it. It's fucking ridiculous. I talk to people about this kind of stuff, and these are intelligent people. These are lawyers and doctors. They have no idea how they're being. I'm like, look at that fucking rating. Why can't they take that rating and just let the building know that you got to comply at some point within 10 years? Why do they have to post it? This isn't a fucking restaurant. They, they put it right by the mailboxes. It's the mm. biggest scam ever. Mark, someone told me that you go to C-rated restaurants. 
Uh, not all the time. <laughs> this interview's over. <laughs> it depends on the girl I'm dating at the time. The way she yeah. deserves. If they give me a break on the price. Give me a, you give me an A-rated blowjob, we'll go to a B-rated restaurant. Right now. <laughs> that being said, listen, Pat, man, you, you took the time out. You spent over an hour with us. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, uh, where fun. can we find? I know you have a Twitter account. Um, and uh, where is the Twitter? I put it, I wrote it somewhere here. Tell us about, uh, where, where can we find you? Go Google dead guys in suits. You'll find me. <laughs> dead guys in suits. Yeah, it's a blog, blog, right? blog. I blog about uh, guys getting bumped off. Pretty much every day, every day or every couple of days. I try to do every day, but sometimes it doesn't work out. But you know, on this day in 1929, so and so got bumped off. Like a joining tomorrow, tomorrow is going to be a purple gang guy from Detroit from 1929. How do we join this? It's my blog, uh, deadgangster.blogspot.com. De I'm writing it down. Dead because we're gonna. I'll, I'll post this on deadgangster.blogspot.com. Dot. If you Google dead guys in suits, you'll find it that way too. Yeah, dead guys in suits. That's another thing I I I find fascinating about those times: the pictures of the guys who got shot. There's some about the black and white photos and you know their hats and suits. <laughs> yeah, great hats. Well, that's that's what I was I was uh, earlier when we started about the 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 closing the clothing the music. Yeah. Uh, when you're writing about that time, putting yourself in that place and what it what it what it felt like, what it smelled like, um, and when you say dead guys in suits, the the fedoras. These are not only were they wearing suits, but they were wearing the best suits of the time. Right. And the fedoras, the overcoats with velvet collars, just. <laughs> And it's, it's funny that the same type of personality comes through because the way you're fascinated about this time, I'm, I'm, I think I'm growing fascinated by the, uh, the frontier, the West. Uh -huh. And one of the things that's depicted in the movie Tombstone is the colors in uh, the outfits that the, the cowboys are wearing, everybody in town's wearing. And the way to tell who had the money and who was successful by was by how you dressed. Mm -hmm. So although we, we depict the, the West with a lot of grays and browns, the reality is the people that were gambling in these towns, the people that were drinking in the saloons, a lot of them wore flamboyant colors, pinks, reds, <laughs> uh, purples, uh -huh. anything that could make them stick out. And they right. were very into fashion and they were always, you know, who could, you know, who could design my clothes? Uh, if they were very into jewelry, anything that you can spend your money on to show that you weren't, a freaking loser like everybody else you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right you're not wearing buckskin <laughs> yeah it's just, it's consistent through through the time yeah the, the criminals the gangsters the outlaws they always want to dress a little bit better than everybody else and show off yeah al capone showing up for court court in a you know, canary yellow suit on one day and then a green suit the next day just as opposed to you uh, to you know just a gray or a brown you know it's look at me <laughs> they yeah, wanted yeah. the attention look at me <laughs> it's a funny I made it i'm not that you know poor kid shining shoes on the lower east side anymore now i got a purple silk suit <laughs> i'm somebody that's amazing yeah that's that's so yeah just the way we are well um thanks for coming and stopping thanks by for having me it's a lot of fun spending, spending time with us uh yeah, i'm a big fan I'm gonna, I'm gonna check out your stuff 
And uh, for those of us who uh, who tuned in tonight, don't forget to check out Dead Guys in Suits. It's a blog that our our, our guest Pat Downey Jr. Uh, writes uh, almost daily. He's got so many great books: Gangster City, History of New York Underworld, Bad Seeds, uh, Big Apple Bandits, and Hollywood on the Spot. I'm gonna check them all out. All righty, thank, thank you guys. Had a lot of fun. Thanks, Pat. Thank you. So Take do we. Care. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.